Hello, thank you for joining the Camden First Assembly broadcast. We are so excited to share the Word of God with you today, believing that this Word is exactly what He has for your life. So, stay tuned for today's message, and as always, remember, there's a place for you at Camden First Assembly. And um, we've been this week praying, as you know, um, with our brothers and sisters across 58 on true fasting. And uh, I really wanted to preach from this chapter this past Sunday, but I just went with the Holy Spirit and did what He said. Um, But I'm excited to be able to share this with you tonight. Isaiah chapter 58, verse number 1, says this, Shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right. And has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and have you not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting you do as you please. And you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife. And in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today. And expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fasting I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves. Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is it what you call? A, is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer, and he will cry. you will cry for help, and he will say, here, I, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way, and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Heavenly Father, I pray in the next few moments of time that we would hear from heaven, that, Lord, we would hear from your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, even now, that you would begin sharing revelation that can only come from you, that, God, we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what your Holy Spirit is revealing And speaking to our hearts. God, I pray that when we leave from this place today, that Lord, we will know that we have encountered you. God, I thank you that even now you are healing sick bodies. God, I thank you that even now you are breaking off the addictions, the chains, the oppression of the enemy. God, I thank you that even now you are healing and breaking the bondage of depression. That God, you are restoring hope. That you are restoring joy. That God, you are revealing offenses, bitterness, and anger. 
Lord, that we have held on to. And that, Lord, as we release it, as we forgive, as we move forward and trust in you, that, God, you are opening up the heavens and, Lord, pouring out your glory and your presence. That, God, we can walk in the power and the anointing of your word, seeing the fulfillment of your word and your promises at work in and through our lives. As we see those around us who don't know you, come to encounter your love, your grace, your mercy, your peace, and your joy. That those who are sick around us experience the healing of heaven. That those who are, who are in bondage around us would experience the freedom of God as the light that you have given us breaks forth from within us and the darkness around us with the hope and the love and the joy that is bringing all those who are lost into the saving knowledge of a relationship with you. God, we give you all the glory and honor and praise tonight in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I love this passage of, of Scripture in, uh, in Isaiah because there are some really incredible profound truths throughout uh, this entire chapter. When you, look at, when you look at the beginning of this chapter, uh, there is, um, there is, the Lord is confronting the people who are frustrated by the fact that God has not responded, that God has not answered uh, to the cries of their heart, that God has not intervened on behalf of the needs or the situation or the circumstances of their life. But the problem, uh, the problem that these people were having was they lacked something that is desperately needed in the life of every person who belongs, who is considered a child of God, and that is humility. True fasting is founded in humility. In fact, oftentimes, if we're not willing to humble ourselves and walk in humility, we'll never position ourselves in a place of fasting because we'll be convinced that it's unnecessary for us. One of the greatest things that, that I believe the enemy uses is our own self-reliance or independence against ourselves. And in a country where we have access to so many resources, where in most, considered against most people on the face of the planet Earth, you are considered rich, you are considered wealthy, in a country where we are so involved and wrapped up in ourselves, we become so dependent, independent, based upon the resources, based upon those things that are available to us, that I believe it's easy, the enemy uses it as a, as a trap, to keep us from seeking God first. Because if the enemy can get you and I to take our attention off of God first, and if every time we have a situation or a circumstance in our life, we respond based on our own knowledge, our own wisdom, our own understanding, or the resources that are available around us, we position ourselves to be in a place of confusion when the things that we have relied upon or the things that we have trusted in begin to fail us. Humility as a believer positions us to say, God, while I know I have been blessed with all that I have, while I know that I have been blessed with the resources that are available to me. While I know that you have provided and that you have been my protector, that you have been my defender, that you have been my all in all, I come to you seeking your wisdom and your direction. I come to you with the resources that I have available to me and I ask God, what is it that you would have me do? Lord, what direction is it that you would have me go? Lord, who is it that you would have me speak to? Who is it that you would have me bless? Who is it that you would have me ask? God, what is it that you would 
would have me do. Humility positions us to hear from heaven and to experience what God does when we humble ourselves before the Lord. I'm going to share this, this verse in this Sunday morning, but Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 4 through 7 is a beautiful thing about what God does. In, in, this, in this powerful passage of Scripture, we're reminded that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. What the Lord's reminding these people is that in their frustration and in their disappointment and their aggravation that God has not answered, they have forgotten to humble themselves before the Lord. And I love that the first thing that, that God does is He grabs their attention he, and He says, Why is it that you think that I won't respond? Why is it that you think that I won't answer? Because it's in those moments that it becomes out of obligation and routine. And instead of out of the place that God has called it to come from, which is our heart. I love that when uh, Saul had disobeyed God and the Lord had given the instructions to Samuel to anoint the next king of Israel and Samuel went to the shepherd's house. I love that the Lord lets us see um, the humanity of the prophet of God, of the man of God. Tell your neighbor, you're human. Tell your neighbor, you're not perfect. Better yet, tell him I'm not perfect. I don't, I don't, I don't care how, how wonderful and amazing you are, how, how organized and detailed you are, uh, if you may be considered the best of the best in, in your family or the best of the best in your job, but at the end of the day, you're still not perfect. It's why even as, try, as hard as you may try, you still get frustrated. And as hard as you may try to not be that way, you still get aggravated. And as hard as you may try to walk by faith, you still can be overwhelmed and discouraged by the circumstances and the events that are around. It's because you're human. And I love that God lets us see that. And Samuel, when he goes to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king of Israel. Because when he comes in, he has Jesse call all of his sons to anoint the next king. And Jesse brings all the boys that he thinks would qualify for that position. And Samuel looks at those that are presented to him and he says, Well, this one must be the next king because of how he looks, because of how he's presented. And Samuel begins to size him up based on the appearance. And it just goes to show how we have a natural tendency to view people based on the outward appearance of what's in front of us. <laughs> but when he gets through the line and God says, no, this isn't it. No, this isn't it. No, this isn't it. Finally, Samuel's left to look at Jesse and say, do you have any other sons? And the only son that he has left is the runt of the litter, the shepherd boy. And he sends for him and he comes back and God says this, is who I have chosen to be the next king. Why? Because God says, man looks on the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. God judges our attitude and our motives based on our heart. If you don't know the people that are around you, if you've not taken the time to get to know them, then you will make judgments about them based on what they do and what you can see on the outside, not based on what happens on the inside. And the problem that happens in our life is we oftentimes make assumptions and we make judgments and we begin making comparisons and drawing up conclusions and making decisions that cost us confusion in the long run because we misjudge what's been presented in front of us because we thought we knew 
what it was going to look like. We thought we knew what it was going to be. When it comes to the situations and the circumstances of our life, not understanding what it is that we need to do or the directions that we need to go, it's oftentimes easy for us to believe that what's been presented to us is going to happen a certain way. You ever been praying and believing and asking the Lord to do something and you thought you, you thought you knew how God was going to handle it? I love that when we bring needs before the Lord, we also oftentimes bring a plan to God of how we think, we should, how we think He should address this. Well, Lord, based on my time and my experience in this situation, I believe. And what happens is, is while we don't necessarily say it quite to the Lord like that, when we begin praying for those things, when we don't see the results that we had expected, we become frustrated. When we don't see God move, we become discouraged. When we don't see God answer, or we don't hear Him answer from heaven based upon the way that we thought that He was going to answer, we begin to respond, and our faith begins to, begins to waver based upon whether or not He's moving according to whether or not He's doing it the way we had expected. And what happens in the moment, if we're not careful, is we'll respond out of pride instead of out of humility. What if the situation, the circumstance, the difficulty, the season, the storm, the difficulty that you're in, or the struggle that you're going through, what if in this moment God is doing something that is far bigger than even your life? What if the struggle, what if the storm, what if the season, what if the difficulty, what if the impossibility that's in front of you, what if God has a way of doing it so that no man on earth can take credit for it, but so that everyone may know that God's hand was at work in your situation? Are we willing to wait, but better yet, are we willing to trust that God's promises have a process and that through His promises and His process, He's fulfilling the ultimate plan of His kingdom coming and His will being done in our lives. I think it's why Jesus so clearly instructed His disciples and taught His disciples and ultimately us as disciples of Christ how to pray. I love that He includes that in His prayer. God, Your kingdom come and Your will be done. I think Jesus... Was, was sharing with him a prayer that he prayed every day because he knew there was a day that was coming where he was going to have to choose to surrender his will. I think that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was faced with that, with that, with that moment <laughs> when he made that cry from the true humanity of who he was, God, let this cup pass from me. And responds with a prayer that I believe he had prayed time and time again with his father. Not my will, but yours be done. That surrendering positions, that humility positions us to experience what only heaven has to offer. Can you imagine if Jesus had not taken... <laughs> can you imagine if Jesus had not taken the mission that God had given him? Can you imagine what would happen? What would have happened? Well, he's the son of God. That's impossible. But I'm saying think for just a moment because the truth is, is every single one of us who said yes to Jesus have been called in position for such a time as this. I tell our students, I would tell our students all the time, and I try to tell even those that are in this room and those that listen online continually all the time, you have a destiny, you have a reason and a purpose. You're not here by accident or by mistake. There is a purpose to your life. There is a call on your life. And whether you think that you're affecting millions or 
not. The truth is, is that if you've said yes to Jesus and I've said yes to Jesus and we're continually serving and responding in obedience to him, the effects that we're having are not just on today or tomorrow and truthfully can't be measured by this world's standards because if we're saying yes to him and we're responding in obedience to his call and we're responding in trust in his timing and trust in his process and trust in his promises and following humbly before him. Well, the reality is, is that we're having an effect not just on those that are closest to us, not just on those that we can see where we've made an impact or a difference, but the truth is, is there are countless others who have said yes to Jesus as a result of your obedience and mine to trust God and respond in obedience to what he's called us and directed us to do that will have an effect on eternity. On eternity. How many people have been impacted as a result of your obedience? The word that you shared with someone that you knew. The Sunday school class that you've led or that you've taught. The phone call that you gave. The card that you sent. The money that you gave. The food that you provided. And all of those things, the enemy will take so many of those things that we say yes and respond in obedience to what God has said. And he'll, he'll, he'll do his absolute best to say, well, that had no effect and that had no bearing. And when we begin to compare and we begin to measure, what happens is we rob ourselves of the blessings of what God has given us of just simply saying yes to what he's called us to. What happens when we fast before the Lord has effects that are not always immediately witnessed in the physical that natural act of faith and obedience to what the Holy Spirit is leading and prompting us to do has supernatural effects and leads to breakthroughs for the kingdom of heaven. It positions us for revelation from the Lord and positions us to experience the fulfillment of His word and His promises in our lives. He said this in verse number 6, Is not this kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? When the, when, the Lord, when the Lord responds to the hearts of people that have humbled themselves, chains begin to break. Yokes begin to fall. Why? Because in humility, in that moment, we have turned ourselves to the Lord, and it's in that humility that God lifts up as Philippians 4, 4 through 7 says, that God begins to guard our hearts to the peace of heaven and that God begins to fulfill his word and his promise to his people. He said in verse 8, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. Fasting and prayer positions us in a place not because, of, not because of the act, but because of the attitude of our heart. Fasting is a matter of the heart. And to deal with matters of the heart, it requires humility. Uh, countless times, I would deal with, with students. And, and, and many times I've dealt with people who are experiencing frustrations, who are experiencing difficulties, who are experiencing situations that are, that are frustrating them beyond belief, that, 
that they're acting or reacting in certain ways and in situations. And the truth is, oftentimes what is happening on the surface is a result of what's going on in the heart. In fact, Jesus spoke about this to the Pharisees when he called them a brood of vipers. I love Jesus. I love the bluntness that Jesus had when it came to the Pharisees, the ones that so so called knew the word of God, that knew the law of God. But his response to them was was how can you speak anything good when you are so evil? <laughs> he said because out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And we read it in Proverbs and, and, and the Lord reminds us of it, and I'm going to talk some more about that this Sunday. But out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Oftentimes what's manifesting in the natural is the result of what's happening in the supernatural, what's happening with the spirit, what's happening with the soul, what's happening with the heart. Because it's out of the heart that we experience the life that God has for us. It's out of that heart that we experience the truth, the revelation, the power of God's word at work within our life. Fasting True fasting is, is a matter of the heart because it's turning to the Lord and saying, God, I'm humbling myself before you. I was really clear this past Sunday about this 21-day fast. I feel that God's called us to do it as a church and to do it corporately, but let me be very clear, and I will say this again on Sunday. You need to respond in obedience to the Holy Spirit. If God has not prompted you to join this 21-day fast, don't do it. Let me just take the condemnation of the enemy and lift it off of your shoulders. If you're not supposed to do this 21-day fast, don't. And what you do on this 21-day fast needs to be what the Holy Spirit has led you to do, whether it's to fast a meal or two. Maybe it's to fast three meals a day and to do water only. Maybe it's to do a Daniel fast. Maybe it's to fast something else in your life that has become your source, your security blanket, your, your hope in your life that you need to, to sacrifice for 21 days to the Lord and say, God, you're my everything. I don't know, I don't know what that is. I'm not going to tell you how you need to fast. I just believe in my heart that that's between you and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to do what the Lord's told me to do. So if you come on January 22nd to the Speed of Light event, which I hope you will, please do not think that it's a night off. Please. Hear your pastor. Do not think it is a Wednesday night off. Come. There's going to be students from many other churches. But would you please come, and if nothing else, worship alongside them and pray between you and the Lord in those seats that God will move on those students' hearts to gain a heart to share the gospel. Your prayers are powerful and effective. Just be here. Just be here. It's not going to be a normal Wednesday night service, but that's okay. Change is good. Even when we don't like it, it's good. Change is good. You know, but in, in, in everything, even if you come on that Wednesday night and you're eating pizza, I'm not standing there to watch you. <laughs> we have free pizza that night. If you're not fasting, eat the pizza. You're not going to hurt my feelings. You be obedient to do what the Holy Spirit's calling you to do. I'm not here to police you, and neither is anyone else that's a part of this leadership team. But as your pastor, I want to give you the opportunity to do what the Holy Spirit's prompted us to do. And I'm going to lead in that. And go where the Holy Spirit's taking us as a church. 
when it comes to doing what the Holy Spirit said to do, obedience will often require sacrifice. But the blessings always outweigh the sacrifice. Every single time. What God was telling these people, more than anything in Isaiah chapter 58, was the sincerity of your heart isn't there. If you go through this 21-day fast, and you don't turn your heart towards the Lord, if you don't position yourself to hear from heaven, to seek His face, to worship Him, you are missing out on why we're fasting. (laughs) A true fast is a matter of the heart. It's turning your heart to the Lord. And letting him reveal anything that's hindering you from hearing from heaven and experiencing the blessings and the promises of God.